Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Happy New Year. How are you? Good. Take just a second, actually, and consider that question. Like, I know we're supposed to say good, but I just want, I just want you just to actually consider that question, how are you? Just how, how's your, your soul, how's your spirit doing? <laughs> you know, we live in the craziest time in my 37 years that I've ever experienced. Some of you have some years on me, and you're shaking your heads yes. And... There's a, a lot going on, obviously. There's all the political stuff, even that we've experienced over the last couple months or just the last week. There's the racial stuff that has been brought to the surface. There's economic uncertainty. Um, there's all the stuff that we're feeling personally, right? Like, as we begin to wrestle with that and, and, and those tensions and those struggles. And then there's the, the divisiveness of all of that because everybody's got an opinion, right? Should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Who do I vote for? What party am I for? And how much do I identify with that party? There's all of those things that are going on and they're not simply vying for our attention. They're vying for our affection. They're vying actually for our very hearts. And and I, I, I believe this, it's not simply our affection, it's actually our devotion that's at stake. I believe the writer of Hebrews says it well in chapter 12. I love the way this passage starts out. In fact, if I was gonna say one verse for this message, it would be this in verse two. It says, we'll start in verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the beginning and the perfecter, the one that brings to completion our faith for the joy set before him who endured the cross. Scorning at shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. But I wanna jump now to the end. This is one of my favorite chapters in scripture, but, but verse 26, I think it speaks to what we're experiencing. And it's important always that we understand the context of scripture. The writer of Hebrews was writing to the Hebrews and he was telling them of the great persecution, the great trial that was coming. They were already experiencing everything in chaos, both Jew and Christian. And he writes this to them in verse 26, but I think it's for our day. Now, I believe this, that many of us have different views on what's going on in our culture and persecution, potential persecution, or everything's just gonna be fine. I'm not speaking to coming persecution. I wanna speak to the condition of your heart, okay? 
And in verse 26, it says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The word once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. And that is created things, man made things so that what cannot be shaken, what is eternal may remain. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, say kingdom, that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. I believe in this day, not unlike what was going on in the first century when their whole world was being shaken, that we are in the middle of a lot of shaking. And if you're shaking, then I believe this, that God is refining you at the core so that while everything around you is shaking, you can stand firm. Because what God wants to do is he wants to put something in you that cannot be shaken, something in you that is permanent and eternal, that is deeply rooted and grounded in him so that no matter what's going on around you, nothing can have the peace of God that rests in you. And so I believe what we are experiencing is actually meant for our refining. Where's your hope? Where's your peace? Is it in political candidates and justice causes? Or is it in King Jesus? You see, I, I believe this, that what God wants to do is he actually wants to order what is disordered. And some of us are political candidates and our justice causes inform our faith. But the way that it works in the kingdom is that our faith takes priority. It means nothing else comes first above our faith. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should be passive and disengaged. I'm not saying that your justice causes and your political preferences don't matter at all, but I'm saying King Jesus does not serve your causes and your preferences. Your preferences and your causes serve him. And when we get the order right, what we do is we have the opportunity to advance his cause, his purposes into our world, that we would see the kingdom of heaven invade earth. But when we get it flipped, when we get it backwards, we find ourselves disoriented, desiring to unplug, confusing others, seeing our neighbor as our enemy instead of recognizing that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Let me say this. I believe that one of the greatest schemes of our day is identity politics. It's that we would group each other into categories and then become adversaries. And I believe that God wants to put us all in order. And so he's allowing things to be shaken all around us so that what should be priority becomes the main thing. 
And I believe this, that regardless of what is going on around you, that there is a way to live that you have peace in every storm. Amen. I love the story of Jesus with the disciples in the boat and a storm comes and Jesus is asleep and the disciples are scared for their life. I have a friend who, one of his sons, 12, 13-year-old boy, has a propensity for fear. And what my friend Josh says to his son, he says, am I afraid? His son looks at him and says, no. He says, then you don't need to be afraid either. Jesus could sleep in the storm that had his disciples, his followers, afraid for their lives. So finally, they wake him up. He rebukes them before he rebukes the storm because they're going crazy. They've lost their mind. And what they should understand is that if Jesus is okay, you could be okay. And then he speaks this phrase that really could be summed up in one word, shalom, peace be still. And it is the peace of God that drives out chaos. It's not the absence of chaos. It is the very powerful presence of God that takes chaos and makes it calm. And I want to just declare over your hearts this morning, shalom, so that you can have peace in the middle of the storm. So that no matter what the enemy throws at you, you can recognize that you live under the rule of the Prince of Peace. And so while the world's in chaos, you can be in peace. But there's even something better than just you being in peace. When you live in the shalom peace of God, when that becomes your reality, you can speak to the storms and you can say shalom. Peace. Be still. Over the next few weeks, Steve and I are going to teach a, a series called Rooted, and we're going to talk about, I'll do it a little bit more just in a moment, we're going to talk about what it looks like, looks like to live a life rooted in Jesus. So we'll talk about life in Jesus, we'll talk about life on life, that we actually need each other, that you need some people running with you. We'll talk about life on mission I believe that one of the most stabilizing things in life is having purpose. Amen. If you don't have purpose, then your world can be turned upside down really fast. And we're going to talk about life and community, that we actually need each other. Look around just for a minute. These people are people that you need. They're not just people that you bump into on a Sunday morning, but they're actually people that God has arranged your life in such a way that you could actually run together. And it doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter who they voted for. It matters that we're in this thing together. Amen? Go with me to Jeremiah Chapter 17. We'll start in verse 7. We'll just read 7 and 8. It says, Blessed, I'm in the amplified version. That should be 
on the screen, blessed, and it says in parentheses, with spiritual security is the man who believes and trusts and relies on the Lord. Anybody want spiritual security? If you don't have spiritual security, what this verse is saying is check your foundation. What are you believing in? What are you trusting in? Where is your hope? It says, and, and whose hope is confident, whose hope and confident expectation is the Lord, for he will be nourished like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green and moist and it will not be anxious and concerned in a year of drought, nor stop bearing fruit. Some versions would say it this way, bear fruit in every season. Where are you planted? Where have your roots sunk in? You see, that tree that God has designed for you to be is not planted just in a field. It's actually planted right by the waters. If you're planted by the water, then your fruitfulness, your health, your life does not depend on the rain that falls, but on the river that flows. And so you're not moved by the circumstances, by the environment, by what's going on around you because your roots have been able to sink deeply into the very source of life. This same river Ezekiel talks about in, verse 47, in chapter 47, he says this, that it flows from the very throne of God. I love what roots do for us. Our roots anchor us. If you're a tree, which you're obviously not because I'm talking to you, but you're like a tree, is what this verse is saying, then what your roots do, one, is they provide incredible stability. Wherever you're rooted, it doesn't matter. If you have good roots, when the wind comes, you stay strong. But it's not only an, an anchor, it's actually the way that trees get fed and get watered. You see, they actually, through the roots, begin to absorb the nutrients, and then they, they drink in the water. And so if you're, if you're not a tree that's planted in the stream of life, which is the, the spirit of God, then what happens is you are dependent on what falls instead of what flows. You see, what flows is eternal. It's a never-ending stream. It is always providing life, but what falls is seasonal. What falls comes and goes and, and you have seasons of drought and you have seasons of difficulty and seasons of hardship. And when that's the case, you don't bear fruit unless the circumstances are right. If that's the case, you don't have hope and peace and confidence unless the circumstances are right. You can't provide shade and rest and security for anybody else unless the circumstances are right. 
but the way that God has called us to live is what he said to us is that you would let your roots sink deeply into me and I will provide you so much nourishment that the world around you cannot dictate to you if you're going to be fruitful and have life. And recognize this church, that when the season is good, every tree is bearing fruit. But when the season is bad, when it is difficult, when it's drought, the trees that are still bearing fruit, the ones that are anchored on the riverbank, drawing their life from the source, their fruit is the desire of the nations. Their fruit nourishes those who are otherwise stuck out in drought. Where are you rooted? Jesus said this, that you can know a tree by its fruit. And I'd like to suggest in this context with Jeremiah 17, that you can know where a tree is rooted depending on its ability to bear fruit and have green leaves in every season. I'm, I'm not judging you. I'm exhorting you. There's a big difference. I'm not saying to you that if you're struggling, shame on you. What I'm saying is there is a better way to live. As our team was, was praying for you, for us this week, Diane saw this. She saw a tree that was planted, I'm assuming in a field, and instead of simply just being moved to a riverbank, it was actually taken, flipped upside down and stuck into the heavens. And I believe this, what God is doing to us is he is saying, church, I'm letting you be shaken so that you will find your source and your strength, not in the world around you, but in the very heavens themselves, that your source will be the living God and that his life will be flowing through you. I believe this, that this is not the season for us to shrink back, church, but this is a season of fruitfulness, that we would bear such fruit that the world would say, what in the world is going on with them? They have so much life, so much joy, so much peace, so much strength to offer. That tree Not coincidentally, Ezekiel 47 says that in its leaves are the healing of the nations. It's not the tree that's planted in the field that's dependent on the rain's fall, but it's the tree that's planted at the river's edge, dependent on the flow of the river. And let me tell you something, the flow of God never stops. If you're not planted by that, Stream, here's what happens. You're dependent on your conditions. You're dependent on your, your small group. You're dependent on your friends. Let me say this. If, if you are dependent on me and what gets said from this stage and what gets sung from right here, if that determines your fruitfulness, then you've got the wrong source. 
What God is not asking us to be is dependent on the church even, but that we would be dependent on him. And so often our, our, our Christianity gets so, so Sunday dependent, so organizational dependent, that when that stuff gets shaken, all of a sudden our world begins to fall apart. And, and, and it, it's really quite simple. If you disagree with, if that's your foundation, if that's where you're planted, then you disagree with somebody in the church, you don't like what the pastor says, all of a sudden, your life gets shaken. All of a sudden, it's like, well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I, can, if I can do that anymore. I don't know if I can be a part of, of that church because I, I, don't, I don't agree and, and, and I don't know if I can get life there anymore. I've got a bad relationship. The, the pastor didn't, say my name or didn't shake my hand or you know nobody called me nobody checked up on me nobody did this and we begin to get so victim minded and we start to get shaken when all of the stuff is shaking because we don't see ourselves as planted by the stream we're not living in that way we're not living by the source we're actually just dependent on the people but i believe that god is doing it that he's allowing the shaking I'm not even saying he's causing it, but he's allowing the shaking so that we can experience life in him, so that we can get to what really matters. Go with me to Colossians chapter two. I'm gonna read verses six and seven. I love all sorts of different translations. I, I like the way the Passion Translation says this one. It says, in the same way you receive Jesus, our Lord and Messiah by faith. You recognize that, right? You didn't receive Jesus by birth, not by association, not by coming to church, not by doing the right things, not by your good performance, not by turning from your bad performance. You receive Jesus by faith. So in the same way that you receive Jesus by faith, continue in your journey by faith. I remember much of my life, I had started by faith and I continued by works. And the truth is I even turned my intentional time with God into works. But we don't live by his works. It's not dependent on our performance. It's dependent on him. It says, continue your journey of faith, progressing further into your union with him. Say union. union. I want you, if you contemplate one thing for this week, I want you to contemplate the word Union specifically in the context of our relationship with Jesus. You are one with him. You're one with him no matter what you do, no matter what you think. You have been made one with him by his blood. Your performance didn't get you into it and it cannot get you out of it. And so what... What um, Paul is saying here by progressing further into your union, what he's saying is, I want you to experience all that you already have. And then it says this, your spiritual roots go deeply into his life as you are continually infused with strength, encouraged in every way 
for you are established in the faith you have absorbed and enriched by your devotion to him. So being rooted in him, what it says is that it infuses you with strength. That, that word strength means foundationally strong, right at the core. When Jesus is your strength, when he is your foundation, when he is your source, you cannot be moved because your foundation is correct. You are strong. Then it says that you would be encouraged in every way. Another way to say that phrase would be constantly or continually encouraged. If Jesus is your source, if you're rooted in him, then you always have courage. You never lack courage because you've got him as your source. If you're your source, then your courage is dependent on how you're feeling about yourself and your circumstances. If somebody else is your source, then your courage is dependent on them saying the right words to you to get you into the right attitude to do the right things. But if he is your source, then it doesn't matter what comes at you because you are the one that's providing life, not the one that's trying to suck it from every other would-be fake source. goes on to say, established in faith that you are made firm and secure. What's glorious about this is that it's the faith that comes from him. You see, most of us try to approach God in our own faith. Like it's like, I've got to feel good about God, then I'm going to go to God. I've got to feel good about God, then I'm going to pray. I've got to feel good about God and about my circumstances, and then I'm going to read my Bible. But the opposite is actually where the truth is. I approach him and as I approach him, as I'm rooted in him, I receive the very life of faith. You see, the Christian life is not about having enough faith in God. It's about being connected to him so that I operate with the faith that comes from him. My faith is useless. I need his faith in me. Then it says enriched by your devotion. God wants to enrich you with your devotion. So many times we make our devotion to God, which is both lived in that quiet place of devotion, but it works its way out all the way through our lives. We make it a burden. We make coming to God this burden, like if I, oh man, if I'm gonna set aside 30 minutes or an hour just to get away and pray with God, that's a burden. We're seeing it backwards, upside down. If you get with Jesus, you get enriched. He doesn't need anything from you. He's not even asking that, that we would serve him to meet some sort of needs for him. He doesn't need us. He loves us, he enjoys us, but when we get with him and we live with him, we're enriched by him, not the other way around. Even in our worship, which is lived out in that place of total adoration for him, even when our hearts are fully fixed on him, we're enriched. Our worship is not about what we can give to God, though that should be our heart's desires to approach him full of extravagant love and offer our whole lives to him. Even when we're fully fixed on him, we're the ones that win. We're the ones that get life. We're the ones that are enriched by that. 
as I've been thinking just about us and in this process of being rooted in him, what I've recognized is that I've, I've seen it, that, that people being rooted in the wrong thing have cost them in devotion. More fixated on news and politics and justice causes than on the one who is king of it all. And it's caused people, I've, I've seen people walk away from their devotion to Jesus because they've been devoted to a lesser cause. What Jesus is offering to us is life in him. And I'm not saying those things don't matter. I'm not belittling them. I want you to see them in the right place. Amen? I'm gonna leave you with some homework. Is that all right? I want you to be intentional with your devotion to Jesus, that you would let your roots sink into him, that you would set aside time in your day and in that, that you would spend time in worship because he's worthy of it. Worship is so often an expression of gratitude for what he's done, but even better, praise for who he is. That you'd spend time in prayer and I, I love prayer. So often religion makes prayer a monologue, but it's a dialogue. The word in Greek for prayer so often used in the New Testament, prosukomai, means to exchange your thoughts for God's thoughts. Some of you need to exchange the trash in your head for his treasure. You're probably thinking, yeah, that's my neighbor, right? <laughs> like, that's them. That's all of us. Our life's goal should be to learn to think like God, to see what God sees, to have his heart for people. That you would spend time in prayer and that you would spend time in scripture. I think many of you have heard, like read your Bible every day and you felt this burden towards that. I wanna encourage you to, to flip your mindset on that, that you would recognize that it's actually a source for you. If you read one line or you read for hours, let it nourish you. Let me get, just give you two reasons why we read scripture. One, we, we read it because it is the logos of God. It is both Jesus is the logos, but, but scripture is the logos. And here's what that word logos means. Say logos. It means divine purpose. What we see as we read scripture, as we study it, is we actually learn the heart and ways of God. And so I, I need to understand what God's doing and what his, where his story is going and how I play a part in it. And so I want the big picture. And so I read scripture to get understanding in that direction. But the second reason I read scripture is for the rhema. Say rhema. And that's for the now word of God. You see, what happens is even though scripture was written to a different audience at a different time, it was also written for you. And what happens is we read scriptures that God speaks to us something very much that we need personally in our lives and our hearts that activate us this very day. And so allow God to speak to you and strengthen you. And let me then say this finally devotion or abiding, whatever, whatever word you want to put on it, your quiet time, though I want to argue with you that it probably shouldn't be that quiet. 
Your devotion to God is not a set time in the day, it's a lifestyle. It's all the time. It's that our lives need to be so devoted to him that everything else that we do flows from that place. The way we treat people, the causes that we go after, all of that stuff finds its order in him. And as we live with our hearts set on him, mindful of him, then we find life. Think about it this way. If I gave you a diamond, a big one, let's say a good old three carat diamond. And I said, for the next month, I want you to live with this diamond. And if you don't lose this diamond, then you get to keep it. I'm gonna check in with you at the end of the month. How would you go about your month? Probably have it in your pocket with your hand on it at all times, right? Like, you would be so mindful of that diamond. I wanna suggest to you that you carry something so much more precious than a diamond. What would it look like for you to live mindful of the one who is with you and in you at all times? That's what devotion looks like. That's what living a rooted life looks like. That's what life in Jesus is all about. Amen? Here's what we're gonna do, how we're gonna end our, our time together is with communion. So if you got one of these on your way in, go ahead and take it out. This communion is our common union. It's our shared union with Jesus. Would you stand? We'll do this standing. Jesus did this with his disciples just before the cross. It was something that they would have actually done that time of year regularly, but he added a different meaning to it, a fuller meaning to it. He said that the bread was actually his body that within the hours of talking to his disciples would be beaten beyond recognition. Scripture says that he was actually beaten so that we could be made whole. Some of you are not experiencing the wholeness of God. I'd like to suggest to you that that beating was not in vain, but that he actually went through that so that you could be restored. So that you could be restored in several ways, so that your body could be healed. We saw that last night. My friend Casey woke up this morning after 12 years of back pain, no back pain. God wants to heal your body, but it's bigger than that. He wants to to heal your heart. He wants to heal your thinking. Some of you are wrestling with anxiety and depression. I believe that God wants to break that off. But not only does he want to do it in you individually, he wants to do it with us. He wants to restore to you the place that you have in his body. He wants to restore even the place that the body has this body with other bodies in our region. I believe that he's doing that. That's what God is working out.
this is all about restoration. And then Jesus took the, the cup that had wine juice in it, not a little shot glass of grape juice. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And Luke, it says, this is the blood of my covenant. Here's the purpose of covenant. The covenant exists to make us one. It's all about union. The blood of Jesus was given to you so that you would be made whole and one with him. So that you could be bound to him, rooted in him, living with him always, all the time. So you can take and eat and take and drink. And Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your body beaten for us. Just declare wholeness and healing over this room. Bodies healed, depression, anxiety, mental disorders, just the peace of God. We declare covenant oneness because of your blood, Jesus. We just say this over you. His blood makes you white as snow removes all your sin, restores you to innocence. So Jesus, we thank you. And this morning, if you're at a place where you've just never experienced God, never known God, never given your life to him, never trusted your life to him, then I wanna encourage you to do that that you would put your faith in Jesus, your hope in Jesus. Say, Jesus, my life is yours. I trust you, that you died on the cross for me, that you took my sin and my separation and brought me to you. And I trust in you, I'll follow you with my life. And believe that God is also drawing people back to him. So just during this next song, if you just need to make a step. We don't have our ministry team this morning, but this altar is open. If you just need to just say, Jesus, I'm all in with you. I'm going all in with you. Then I just wanna open up this time during this song for that purpose.